Hebrews chapter 4, and returning to a passage that we began last week. And if you missed last week's teaching, I invite you to check it out on our Facebook. We have videos there. We have a live stream channel. We also have our uh, audio podcast um, you know, through Apple Podcasts, I think, and the others. So you can hopefully find it um, just by searching the church's name. So uh, Hebrews chapter 4, we're going to be looking at verses 12. Well, just verse 12, uh, even though we've been looking at verse 12 and 13, kind of putting them as a set. And so today is part two of, like, I think 22 is what it's going to work out to be. So I'm just joking. Just probably part two of three, I think, is where we're going to be. Okay, we'll see as the Spirit leads. Uh, all right, if you're there, I'm going to ask you to stand with me in honor of God, His Word, and His Word. The writer of Hebrews tells us, The Word of God is living and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of the joints and marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must and we will give account. We'll pause there. We're going to pray. Uh, we're going to pray, Amy, this year, last Sunday, you're taking off? All right, so pray for Amy Maddox. She's going to be taking off ahead of Dan and the girls, doing a little recon and advance party for their family uh, as they're moving stateside after. Uh, and also, I'm going to ask if we can pray for Pastor uh, Perry. What's Pastor Perry's last name? Alexander. Alexander. So he is the pastor of the Kailua Community Church there in Hawaii. On Wednesday nights, uh, there's a small group that's been going through systematic theology class. Um, the Thompsons are heading that up, and then we, they got word that Pastor Perry was in a motorcycle accident. Uh, he's in the ICU, uh, and so we want to just lift him up, his family up, and the church up as well, okay? All right. Father, we thank you for the morning, and Lord, even as we've been studying your word, we know that it's your word that speaks to our hearts. It's your word that provides guidance. It's a lamp and a light for our feet and our path. Lord, it, it tells us what's right and what's wrong and where to go and where not to go. And Lord, even beyond that, it, not only does it tell us, it, it enables us. Lord, it is the source of our hope. It's the source of our wisdom, the peace that we can experience, especially in this current world, Lord. So much unrest. Father, it's the source of our perspective. It allows us to see the world through your lens and to see it then correctly. And it gives us bearing, Lord, and we're grateful for it. And Father, we, we thank you for this time, and we thank you, Lord, that we have the privilege of worship and the privilege of prayer to even come before you and ask for your blessing upon our study. But Lord, not just for blessings here and now, but Lord, we pray for a blessing for Amy as she heads stateside, that you'd be with her and give her travel favor and mercies and Lord for Dan and the girls just to be able to hold the fort and, and Lord all that Amy needs to do and uh, Lord just going ahead of house hunting and community and all those things Lord just bless her we pray we're so grateful for the Maddox family Father we also lift up Pastor Perry to you we thank you for his ministry we thank you for his life Lord God we thank you that you spared him and we pray that Lord that you're just your hand of healing and protection 
would be on him now. Comfort his family. Lord, comfort the church community there. Uh, Father, we're grateful for our uh, extended family in Christ and do you be able just to be connected across the globe through modern technology. But Lord, we ask that you be with our brother and just heal him, comfort him, strengthen him, we pray. And Lord, for our time of study, again, speak to our hearts, we ask, and we thank you for it. It's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. So we, we've parked here, and we'll stay parked here for a little bit. Um, such, it's such an important verse. And hopefully you were here last week and got to hear the message. You know, it's important. Certainly, it's all, all verses are important, you know, especially in the context of the text, right, uh, to understand how does this fit in all of what we've been studying here in this chapter and here in this book. It's important to make sure we don't just pull out scriptures and, um, you know, not teach them within the context. It's important. But it's also, you know, it has... It has its own depth and its own weight enough where we could pull it out just as we have been and kind of look at it and examine it and see what God wants to say. In context, the writer of this letter of Hebrews has encouraged the reader, encouraged us to be diligent, to strive even, one translation says, to enter a rest that God has provided. And that rest we we talked about, you know, it's a rest from the the constant striving that many of us can get into, that we feel like we have to prove ourselves to somebody, whether to ourselves or our family or just whatever. We, we need to validate our life to somebody else so we can get caught up into that. It, it, it's a rest from that. It's a rest from what I would call the life-draining pursuit of seeking acceptance and thinking we have to perform well and outperform. And so our whole you know, our whole focus becomes just performance-based. And God says, I'm going to give you rest from that. And it's a rest from our, our self-powered pursuit of uh, trying to be righteous or even trying to be religious uh, outside of what God has called us to do. And so the Lord, the Lord says, hey, I want you to be diligent to enter this rest. And the diligence is... Uh, both a, a pursuit of what God has provided, but, uh, uh, but also a refusal right, of what the world and its, its restless uh, pull and, uh, for us to try to go the world's way. And God says, hey, I want you to enter into this beautiful rest that I've provided. And we looked at that. It's a God-given rest. It's a secured rest for those who come to faith in Jesus Christ. And so how does this scripture then fit with that invitation, with that exhortation? How do we find that rest? How do we enter into that rest? Well, it is by the word of God. It is by opening our scriptures. It's by reading and studying and meditating and allowing this truth then to be a part of who we are. And so that's why we give attention to the, word, the reading of the word and the study of the word. It's by the word. And, and the word of God not only explains what God desires, but it also enables us to enter into what God desires. And so we've come here to verse 12, and this is where we've, we've camped here, and we've been told that the Word of God is, and, it, and the writer gives us a, a list of descriptors, and it began with the Word of God is alive, or it's living. And that this book is unlike any other book that sits on your shelf. This book is unlike any other book in the universe. It is 
been made alive by God himself, the Spirit of God. And it's spiritually alive. And the scriptures that we read then give us life. Peter writes in his letter, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, says, Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed through the living and the abiding word of God. And so we talked about that, this, this vitality that sustains us, and, it's, and it comes from what the word of God provides. And if you're with us, last Sunday we ended with uh, just this exhortation then to read it, <laughs> to be consumers of it, that you know, even it's likened to our daily bread. And so we're to, you know, uh, someone once said that we're to eat the word daily like bread, not occasionally like cake. Unless you eat cake every day, then eat it like cake, you know. Jesus said, it's written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, Matthew 4, 4. And so I don't have to convince you. We live in a world that esteems other things. It esteems material things and material pursuits. It, it, we live in a world that elevates self as king and feelings as authority. And yet God has provided us a book, a book like any other, no, like, not like any other book, a book that speaks to a completely different value system and pursuits. And ultimately what we understand, it's his heart for us. It's his heart for creation and for his creation to know his heart. This book has been said that this is God's love letter to us. And, and I agree, it is his revelation of his love for you and for me and and we talked about how God himself says, I have magnified my word even above my name, Psalm 135. And if God has magnified his word above his name, then how much more should we then treasure this gift, to value this gift? And how valuable is the scriptures to us? This past week, maybe you saw in the news, of course it wasn't the headline news, there's other things uh, you know, making headline news and things that we need to be in prayer for, especially in the United States and with COVID and all these things. But one of the smaller headlines last week was that one of the few copies of the comic book that introduced Superman to the world, uh, it was sold for a record-setting price. Um, so that's the comic action, uh, comics number one. Someone paid $3.25 million for that comic book last week. So in 1938, it cost, or yeah, 38, it cost 10 cents. <laughs> That's quite the uh, increase of value. Uh, so when I saw the news, I'm like, oh, that, it made me really curious about uh, other books. And so I just started doing some, you know, Google searching. Uh, the most expensive cookbook ever sold the most expensive cookbooks ever sold, actually it wasn't, a, it's not an older book, it's a newer book, but it's this book called Utsav, the Culinary Epic of Indian Festivals by Vikas Khanna, sold for $13,000. Apparently this book, uh, it has gold ink, that's what uh, makes it you know, valuable. Uh, the world record for the most expensive book ever sold, anybody know? It's a science book. I don't believe in science. No, it's a science book. The Codex uh, Leicester, if I'm saying it right, which is it's Leonardo da Vinci's science diary. 
Bill Gates bought it in 1994 for $30.8 million. Most expensive book ever sold. Yeah. I'm, I have a diary I'm selling too. And, uh, yeah. Put on eBay. Yes. So it, all, all those things made me really curious about the most expensive Bible ever sold. Uh, the most expensive Bible ever sold was the Gutenberg Bible. You guys heard of the Gutenberg Bible? The Gutenberg Bible was the first complete, actually, what's unique about it was the first complete book uh, to be printed on what's called a movable type. And so, you know, the, you have to put all the letters backwards and put the ink and they would print it. And so, Johannes Gutenberg in Germany in 1455 uh, made this printing press. And he, what does he print? The first thing he prints, he prints a Bible. It's called the Gutenberg Bible. The, there's only 49 Gutenberg Bibles known to exist. Uh, and out of those 49, only 21 of them are actually complete. The entire uh, book of the, books of the Bible. And so uh, this is a, an example of one. But you know what's ready? Here you want, ready for a fun fact about the Gutenberg Bible? The highest price ever paid for a Bible is a Gutenberg Bible. It was purchased for $5.4 million, and it was bought in Japan by, uh, in 1987 by the Maruzen Company, and it's still here in Japan. So, Kind of fun fact. Right? Uh, I, I hope I don't have to, again, try to argue with you or convince you that the worth of the Scriptures... Uh, can't really be quantified by a monetary value. If you have a Bible in your possession, you have the most valuable book in all of creation. And of course, it does no good, though, if you don't open it. <laughs> it does no good if you don't read it and apply its truths. Many, many years ago, before Christy and I were married, we were dating, and uh, her parents had invited me over for, for Christmas, and uh, so went over there to spend the holidays and exchanging gifts, and, uh, and her, her folks uh, handed me my present, and I got to uh, open it up, and when I opened it up, uh, I was a college student at the time, to my surprise, it was a cookbook, and it was a little bit of a strange gift, because it was a cookbook, um, and I like to eat, but, uh, uh, but uh, it was a Better Homes and Garden cookbook, and it was a used cookbook, you know, it had like the sticker in the corner, and it had been peeled off, but I could tell like, it was from a store that no longer existed, you know. And so, uh, so anyways, I opened the gift, and uh, I, I'm surprised by it, but you know, I want to make sure that I'm showing, like, uh, gratitude for it. So I just kind of feign the smile, like, oh, thank you. Like, it's a cookbook. And so thank you so much. And, and they're all leaning in, like, looking at me with big smiles. And I'm just kind of like, all right, thank you so much. Yeah, and I'm waiting for her brother to open. Like, all right, go ahead. You go next, Scott. Like, uh, but they're like, no, no, you open it up. And so I ended up opening it up, and, uh, and what, what they had done was they had taken envelopes full of cash, and they had stuffed it in uh, almost, you know, every other page of this cookbook, uh, you know, being a, you know, just a starving college student at that time. But, uh, and so it was just so moving. I, you know, I ended up just being embarrassed because I started getting all weepy and teary-eyed, and uh, I, I forget, it was like a couple hundred dollars, but you know how much a couple hundred dollars, you know how much Top Ramen you can buy with... Uh, <laughs> Right and microwave burritos, like I, yeah, I was set for like the rest of my uh, my college years. So, anyways, listen, church family, God's given us a great gift in the scriptures, but uh, but we've got to open it. <laughs> uh, we got to find the blessings that are tucked in the pages of God's gift to us, the scripture, 
as we read it, as we study it, as we apply it. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. I draw your attention back to verse 12. We read, the word of God is living and it is powerful. The word of God is. It's living and it's powerful. Again, last week we talked in depth about how the word of God is living. Now the author adds another very important descriptor to what the scriptures are. What are they? Well, they are powerful. Uh, some translations will read, it, it's active. The original Greek word here that's used for uh, both powerful and, and active, if that's uh, what your translation reads, uh, it's the Greek word energis, where we get the English word energy from. And uh, to look at it in a Bible dictionary, it means that it's effective, it's effectual. It is something that works in you, it energizes you. Uh, it's this idea that it is self-powered and then it is power that then uh, comes from one source and then directs and powers another source. It's energy. If you were with me two weeks ago, I told you that some of you are relying too much on energy drinks. You need to uh, take a nap. You know, we're tired, we're feeling run down, we feel like, oh, I need a boost. And so we drink those cans or we drink a cup of coffee, whatever. And, right, we, we like things that uh, give us power. We often, you know, we like powerful things. You know, there's different ratings of power. Our batteries and cars and all, you know, we, we appreciate power. We respect power. And praise the Lord, this big typhoon that was just nearby didn't hit the Philippines, although if you saw the news, there are still some uh, lives lost and, and damage that happened. And um, so we certainly want to continue to pray for the Philippines, but, th- but thank the Lord it didn't come our way. But that typhoon reminded me, oh, I got to go check on my, my batteries, you know, for my flashlight. I need to be prepared in case the power goes out, and sometimes it does go out. And so, you know, we, we, we like having power, right? We, we like having a supply of power, and we want it to work. We need it to work. Uh, you know, power outages are not fun. And certainly, if you don't have batteries, right, uncharged or dead batteries don't help us at all. And so this, we're told that the Word of God is energizing. It's energous. It's active. It's powerful, and so what kind of power does God's word have for us? How do we rate this kind of power? What's the wattage or the joules or the microamps? Like what, you know, what kind of, what's the horsepower of God's word? Well, there is no rating, right? Although we know that the scripture says the same power who rose Jesus from the grave is the power that God works mightily within us. It's, well, man, that is life-giving power, right? That's life-changing power. That's life you know, raising you from the dead kind of power. There's nothing else that has that kind of power. God's word has God's power. It is unique. It is a divine power. It is a divine brand of energy. And you think about the awesome power of the word of God. In Psalm 33, verse 6, we're told that by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and all of the host of them by the breath of his mouth. That by the word of God, God spoke the universe into existence. Jeremiah, the prophet in Jeremiah 23, 29 declares, 
is speaking how God declares, is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, like a hammer that breaks the rock into pieces. Church family, understand that the word of God is powerful. It is powerful in this regard. It is powerful to change and transform your life. That's how powerful the word of God is. It can literally transform your life. And gang, I pray as we come to study it, I pray as you and I have our time of devotion each morning that, that we wouldn't just come to this book as a, uh, like a textbook. And even what we do, though I want to be diligent to explain what the Word of God says and what it means, I pray that you understand that this isn't just mere academics. Right? This isn't just a, a, a book of facts. It is a book of facts, but not just a book of facts for information. It's, it, it's a book of transformation. And it's not a manual for our, you know, how to have good morals, how to have good manners. <laughs> well, this is a book that transforms us from the inside out. It is living and it is active. It is powerful uh, to change your heart. Why? Because it reveals God's heart to us and fully capable of transforming us in every aspect of it. Paul would say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel to the Romans in Romans chapter 1. I'm not ashamed of God's word. I'm not ashamed of the truth that it proclaims because it is the power of God to transform a life. It is the power of God to save a person, everyone who believes, beginning with the Jew and then also the Greek, meaning then all of mankind. As I quoted earlier in Peter, 1 Peter 1.23, it says, since you've been born again, not of parable." Uh, perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. As I mentioned, this past Sunday, we had the honor of baptizing 19 people there at Araha, and uh, I, I shared from Acts chapter 8, it's a, pas a passage I, I often share from when we have baptisms, just this great little snapshot of of God working in this person's life to the point where then right there spontaneously they get saved, and they're like, I, I, there's some water, what prevents me? And Philip says, you can if you believe in Jesus. And the man says, I do. And he says, all right. My paraphrase, let's get her done. But that, that, that whole section we read about this important official from Ethiopia, he's, a, he's the treasurer for Queen Candace, and, and, and he's a guy who is seeking and, of course, he's wealthy, and so for him, he's able to get a copy of the Scripture, if you will. He's reading the, the scroll of Isaiah, the slow-moving caravan. And, he's, and, and God had divinely uh, TDY'd Philip there to Gaza. And he's there in deployment, and the Lord would tell him, I want you to go and engage this guy. And so Philip comes up to this chariot, and he sees this man reading the scroll of Isaiah, and he says, hey, uh, do you understand what you're reading? And the guy's like, ah, I, I'm not sure. I need someone to help explain it to me. So he invites Philip from this kind of impromptu Bible study. And so Philip joins him, and he's reading from Isaiah. And he says, is this, 
is the author talking about himself or is he talking about somebody else? I'm a little bit confused. And we're told there uh, in the book of Acts, it says, And Philip, then beginning at that scripture, he opened his mouth and he preached Jesus to him, Acts 8.35. And he explained how that scripture was speaking about Christ. And there we understand that that man then, his heart and his eyes were opened to the truth of who God was as the scriptures were opened. It's amazing how many lives have been transformed just by the the reading of the word of God. And we see it throughout scripture. We see it in our own lives, people around us. You know, know, we talk about physical birth and the physical, you know, the, the, the miracle of physical birth. It is a miracle. Oh, and by the way, the appraisal uh, or the Supovals had their baby. So uh, I think, is it Simeon? Anybody remember? Is it Simeon? But also the miracle of being born again. And, and people, you and me, right? People we, that, people we know, our family, our friends, they're broken, lost, hurting, helpless. Living in darkness, living in sin, living in bondage, living in addictions, living in anger, living in fear, hopeless and helpless. And yet the Word of God then came and shined into our hearts and shined into our lives and touched by the Word of God and transformed by the power of God's Word. Countless people, people I know and people I know that you know, And I, there's this girl who, several year, many years ago now, when I was living in California and going to church there, there was, uh, her name was Rosie, and her mom was a believer, and uh, she wasn't, and she had gotten involved in just gangs and kind of just living that life, you know, and tattoos, and had been in juvie, and did a little time even in prison, and these things, and and was just kind of this hardcore gang member and always angry and uh and she wouldn't sit inside she'd just sit outside and it was a speaker and she just listened it was before you know they had televised you know video feeds it was just a speaker that was moved outside and and so she'd sit outside and, and every morning as I'd come by I'd be like hey good morning Rosie how are you and then she'd just drop bad word bombs at me and you know give me the finger and these things and <laughs> just I'm just pray for her, but uh, but Sunday after Sunday, her mom would bring her, and Sunday after Sunday, she just sat there, listening to God's word, listening to the gospel, listening to just the simple teaching of the scriptures, and a seed was planted, and then every Sunday, right, it was watered, and then God got a hold of her heart, and then sometime later, she ended up giving her life to the Lord, and and I kid you not, you guys, her, her demeanor, entire demeanor changed, even to the point where she looked different. You ever seen that with somebody? Like, they just look different. It's like a, a physical transformation. And that is the power of the Word of God. It's active, and it's at work within us. God, through the prophet Isaiah, declares in Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11, 
He says, For just as rain and snow fall from heaven and do not return without watering the earth, making it bud and sprout, providing seed to the sower and food to eat, so my word that proceeds from my mouth will not return to me empty. Some scriptures say it won't, God's word doesn't return void, but it will accomplish what I please and it will prosper where I send it to do. See, gang, we understand that God's word not only does it work in our hearts for salvation, but also it works in our hearts for sanctification, for our continual walk. And that is why, uh, you know, we're told as newborn babes desire the pure milk of God's word. That is why later on we're going to be exhorted by the same writer here in Hebrews that we're to move on then from the elementary things and mature to, you know, maturity and to grow and to handle, if you will, the, the carne asada of God's word. Right? But you know, I, I like milk, but I like carne asada. Second right? mm-hmm. Peter 1.3 says, the divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through the knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Writing to the Thessalonians, Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 2.13, And we thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as just the word from men. It wasn't just some speech. But you accepted it for what it really is. It is the word of God that works in you for those who believe. And so the Word of God is working. (laughs) The Word of God is active. The Word of God is powerful. It changes our lives, and it keeps on changing our lives. As we continue to read, as we continue to study, the psalmist would ask this question, how can a young man cleanse his way, or how can a young man keep his way pure? Psalm 119.9. And he'll answer his own question. And you might think, well, I'm not a young man. I would say to you, well, maybe not, but if there's something strong enough to keep a young man pure in his way, it can keep anybody pure in their way. And the psalmist answers, by taking heed according to your word, with all my heart I seek you, Lord. Let me not stray from your commandments. King, I, I, I park here to share my heart as well that that we need to love and esteem and value the Scripture. That God has provided His Scripture to us and it is alive and it gives us life and it's powerful and it changes us. And it changes us from the inside out. And someone once said that a Bible that's well-worn and falling apart uh, it usually belongs to a person whose life isn't. So we read that it's powerful. We also read that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Now the writer uses this analogy now of a a weapon to illustrate the effectiveness of God's word as a two-edged sword. Now the original audiences are reading, again, they'd understand this picture. The word here that's used for sword in the original Greek, it's this word called makaira. And it was just this common sword in its day. Anybody know like ancient weapons? Anybody, anybody watch that Forge show? That's a, you know. 
And so you know, right, uh, if you're familiar with the Machairi, it's a short sword, almost more like a long knife or a dagger. It's kind of in that category. And, and most Roman Machairis, at least according to Google image search, uh, they're not two-edged, but they're a common weapon in Bible times. It's the same word that's used when Jesus is there in the Garden of Gethsemane, and uh, you remember that uh, as the soldiers come and the leaders of the temple come to arrest Jesus, that Peter pulls out a sword. Remember that scene? And he cuts off the ear of the Malchus, the high priest's servant. Uh, that's what he used. He used the Machira. That's what he pulls out. But I, I want you to notice, though, wh- where, where is the emphasis of this analogy? Where, where's the emphasis of this illustration? The emphasis is upon the sharpness of it. And he'll illustrate it then how sharp is this as it pierces through. You know, the sharper the blade, the more effective the blade. Maybe you've heard it said that a dull knife is a dangerous knife. We, we want a knife that is able to cut well, right? Our veggies and our fruit and cake and all the other good things that we need to cut, right? Well, anybody remember, uh, I'll date myself, when, when I was younger, I think one of the very first popular infomercials on TV was for the Ginzu knife. Anybody remember that? The Ginzu knife? That thing was amazing. Like they would show the guy cutting tomatoes and cutting things, and all of a sudden they cut a can, and they start chopping wood with it. You remember that? And they go back and cut the tomato and cut a piece of paper. And for $9.95 plus postage and handling, you know, call this number. It could be yours. And the whole illustration or the whole commercial is about the sharpness of it and the durability of it, how it kept its edge. And again, we appreciate that. Anybody ever shave with a dull razor? No bueno, right? It's no fun. And so the idea here then is that God's word, it has an edge. It has a sharp razor's edge. How sharp is the word of God? How fine is that edge? Well, the writer is going to give us an example of how sharp the word is. It's so sharp it can cut tomatoes. No, it's sharper than that. It's so sharp it can... It can divide between the soul and the spirit. Where's the dividing line in that? You know, it it can divide between your thought and your intention of your heart. So you understand that God's word is so sharp, so effective. But also what's inferred in that is that because it's so sharp and because it has such an edge, it's not deterred by any barrier. The idea is that it can cut through anything then. No matter what you put in its way, it won't be stopped. God's word will go forth and he will accomplish what he desires. And you ever see like when someone again takes a really sharp knife and they're like, oh, I can cut through anything. Here in Japan, there's this competition. It's called a Tame Shigiri. And it's where they... Uh, contestants will take uh, various uh, samurai swords. You know, usually it's a katana, and there's this other longer one. And, and so it's just, it's this competition, and they'll take rolled tatami mats, or sometimes they'll take bamboo. 
and, and they have to cut it with certain motions or they'll try to cut through uh, a number of them. I think the record is like 21 rolled tatami mats with one uh, swipe. I do that often too in Fruit Ninja. Just, you know, You know, the, the, the sword is so sharp. It's like it can slice through anything. And so, of course, you don't want to put your hand there or, you know, anything that you don't want cut, don't put it in its pathway because nothing can deter it. Understanding that is true of the Word of God, nothing can deter it. No hardness that we try to put up. Cuts through our lies, it cuts through our, our faking it, it cuts through our stubbornness, it cuts through the callousness of our conscience. The Word of God cuts through all of that. In, in Acts chapter 2, verse 27, we read how Peter was preaching the Word, and their response to the crowd as they're listening it says, And when they heard the Word, they were cut to the heart. And see, that, that's what God's Word does. God's Word does a heart work. God's Word does a heart work. If I can say it this way, God's Word does heart surgery in all of us. Because it, in many ways, it's, it's a sharp, like a, a surgeon's scalpel. To cut away the things that don't belong. To cut away, uh, you know, the, the sclerosis, the hardening to make us sensitive, to allow things to flow, to give us life. You know, sometimes I think we think that the best thing that we need is an outward change. I, I think sometimes, if you're like me, I look at my life and I think, oh, I, I, I need to change my settings, or I need to change my situation. Like, my environment needs to change. And, and because of that, we go then set off in pursuit of those things. And don't get me wrong, there are times, yeah, we, we need to change our settings. And we need to, you know, change our environment. You know, relationships can be toxic and places can be not edifying. So there, there's a place for that. And we, but some, sometimes that can be true, but often that's not the real solution to the problems we're facing. Oftentimes it's not the, that we need an outward change. The, really the solution is that we need an inward change. And we might say, well, God, a change of circumstance will be best for me. And God says, no, a change of heart will be best for you. A change of what's going on in the inside will be best for you. And dare I say, sometimes God uses the very circumstance that we want to get out of to be the agent in which God uses them to change us. And so maybe, maybe that's a word for the Lord, from the Lord for you today. It's not a change of your circumstance. It's a change of perspective. It's a change of attitude. It, it's a change of outlook. Right? There's a cutting away that needs to happen and, that, and that's true in my own heart too, gang. That, that's true of all of us. There's a cutting away of my tendency to be selfish and self-centered. There, there needs to be a cutting away of our tendency to be, you know, to hold grudges and be unforgiving. 
a tendency for us to be jealous, covet what other people have, a cutting away of our default to anger and being bitter, a cutting away of us thinking we're entitled, growing indifferent, or defiant even. See, it's not an external circumstance that God wants to remove, but it's, it's an internal callousness that God wants to remove, and he does so by the word of God. And what we really need is not uh, then circumstances to be changed, if I can say it this way. What we really need is then a circumcision of our heart, a cutting away of the flesh. And what is the, the instrument in which God uses? It is the word of God. It is the scriptures it is when you and I allow then and open this book and allow the Spirit of God to speak to us and, and what God wants to do, the necessary heart surgery by the Word of God, that then our life changes. Sometimes it may, it, may, it may not be that our circumstance will change, but you will change. And so it is sharp. It is sharper than a two-edged sword. Why two edges? Why not just one edge? I mean, what, what is the deal with a two-edged sword? What, makes, what, what difference is one edge versus two edge? Well, I, I think very practically the illustration is the idea that it cuts both ways and cut two ways. And we'll talk more about that in the weeks to come, or weeks, no, week to come, sorry. of how it, in one sense, can bring healing and hope, and in the other sense, it, can, it, it reveals God is righteous and there's a judgment, and if we reject and refuse what God says, uh, the, the Word of God reveals right, our default of condemnation. But also there's this idea of that it requires then very careful handling because it is two-edged. It can cut both the wielder and the person or something that, you know, it's being used against. Sometimes we hear the word of God, sometimes we hear a point, or sometimes we hear a sermon or a scripture and we think, oh, so-and-so really needs to hear this. Like, I really hope my spouse is listening. Can listen it is a two-edged sword. It, it, yes, we want our family to listen. We want God's word to work effectively in our kids and our spouses and our family and our friends. But gang, we are the ones in desperate need of heart surgery. I am the one who is in need of being cut by the word of God. To allow it to minister to my heart. We don't want to improperly wield this as a weapon and start slicing at the issues of others. To chop at them when we have our own stuff going on. I think Jesus would say, speaking of those who teach the word, like you who teach the word, you who teach, do not steal, do you steal? You who teach, do not covet, are you coveting? Family, we, we have to allow the, the word to work in us first. To do what God wants to do in our hearts. And then when God does that, then we'll be able better to help others. 
Another analogy Jesus gave is uh, before we go to look to take the speck out of somebody's eye, make sure, you know, we got a plank in our own eye. And how does that plank get removed? Well, it gets removed by the scriptures. James is going to tell us, or James will tells us, right, the scriptures is like a mirror. It allows it we can see ourselves for who we really are. And guess what? Sometimes we don't like to see who we really are. I mean, that, that is one of the things that scriptures does, right? It, it reveals who we really are. In verse 13, it says, and everyone is naked. Everything is open to the eyes of the Lord. You can run, but you can't hide. That's the idea. You know, in the airplane, when you're in the, taking off and the steward, the flight attendant comes out and they give the whole brief and Anybody ever pay attention to that anymore? Right? <laughs> kind of know it by heart if you fly a lot. Right? And they'll talk about, hey, if there's a loss of cabin pressure, the masks will come down. And, and what's the instruction when that happens? What are you supposed to do? Put on your first, right? Put yourself. I used to think like, wow, that's selfish, right? I don't care about the rest of you. I'm going to make it, you know. And until someone explained it to me, they're like, no, you're so stupid. It's, you know. If there's loss of cabin pressure and the oxygen goes down, like you, if you black out, you can't help anybody else. And so you want to put that on so you can help, you know, receive first, and then you're able to help others. And that is, the, that is the same when it comes to the Word of God. It is a two-edged sword. And God uses it, yes, to, to minister and, and, and those of us who have the, the privilege to share it then and teach it, well, it, it, it cuts, but it has, to, it has to start with me first, right? It has to start with us first. Then we can go and help others. Right. I'm going to pause here. We have one more part next week. Uh, and then after next week, I'll pull the break and we'll keep rolling in uh, Hebrews 4, Okay. Lord, thank you for your word. It, it speaks life, Lord. It speaks truth. And God, sometimes we, we don't like what we hear. We don't like to be confronted with truth. But yet, Lord, it stands nonetheless. And God, amazingly, not only... It's not just a mirror. It doesn't just show us where things need to be confessed and corrected. It also enables us to do so. And God, I pray that we as followers of Christ to understand even the connection that how the Word of God, in many ways, it, it describes Jesus Himself. That as we study the Scripture, we, it is the means in which you have prescribed, Lord, that we get to know Jesus better. Father, that you would help us to fall in love then with the Word, to make it our daily bread, to realize, Lord, that it is your power It's supernatural. It's divine. In some ways, we can't even fully fathom it to understand how 
reading your word can then change our heart and change our life and change our perspective. It can change our marriage. It can change, it can change us, Lord. To literally transform us. Lord, I, I pray if we have been looking to external things, to the neglect of first looking to your word, Lord, I pray that we would repent of that. That the word of Christ would dwell richly within us. That we would allow it to, the roots to go down deep. That we then, Lord, would be a person like a tree planted by the streams of living water in which our leaf would not wither, but we would prosper in the things that we do, that we would grow strong and healthy in our relationship with you and our relationship with others. Father, we thank you for the scripture. We love you and we praise you and we ask these things together in Jesus' name. Amen.